Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for Welcome to Set for Life. You came back. Good. As long as I got you, I'll keep you. So hang with me, and we're now in Second Samuel, verse, uh, second book of Second Samuel. I was trying to say verse 1. Hey, I'm ready to rip. Let me say this before we get into it. Saul always confused me. I wanted to hate Saul in my, my uh, sin nature side of me because Saul was all over the place. One day he's doing something good, then he's doing something bad, then he's prophesying, then he's having a victory, then he's turning on God, and he's disobeying, and he's making excuses for himself for why he disobeyed. Saul always confused me. I never could quite pinpoint Saul. But now, because of this deep study that we've been going through together, that you've been with me, I think I have Saul pretty well pinpointed now. I now know exactly where Saul is, because I have realized that Saul is me. And Saul is you. To think of it, another sinner saved by grace. Another person who tried to do his best, messed up a lot, willingly messed up a lot, and turned his back on God, yet was still used by God anyhow. I I now have Saul pinpointed. Saul is me. Saul is you. We are the sinner. So let's be careful how we judge Saul. Let's listen now to how David sees Saul. Here in 2 Samuel 1, the report of Saul's death. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he said, The people have fled from the battle, and many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. 
Those of you who have been with me, and I hope you have for the past chapters, you know, because we studied it in previous study, this is not how Saul died. He did not die the way this guy is explaining to David. For all the skeptical, biblical lightweights out there, you read a little snippet and you pluck that verse and you you think you found an error because you try to use a Bible passage like this. And people, guys, people will try to take Bible passages like this, the Amalekite story of how Saul died, and they will put it up against the previous chapters talking about how Saul died to try to say, look, these stories don't match up. There's error. There's contradiction in the word. No, there's not. There's not contradiction in the word. This is not a contradiction. This is not an error in the pages. What this Amalekite is doing here, he is lying. He is lying. He's not telling David the truth what happened. He is telling an absolute lie. This is not how Saul died. Again, if you haven't read or kept up with the study in previous chapters, and this is your first time hitting set for life, go back a few chapters. Start at the first of the book. Go back to 1 Samuel and go through the study and catch up to here because Saul did not die this way. You've got to keep the context right. We had read in the previous chapter, the way Saul died is he threw himself on his own sword after he was injured in battle. Saul took his own life. That is how Saul died. It's not how this Amalekite is saying. This is not scriptural contradiction. This is a lying Amalekite. Remember, Saul had asked his armor bearer to run him through, stab me, kill me. His armor bearer, not an Amalekite, because the archers had hit him with a lot of arrows. Saul did not want to be alive for the Philistines to come and torture him before he was able to die on his own. So first off, about Amalekites, those of you that know, uh, you've seen the Amalekites were sworn enemies of Israel. They had a hatred of Israel that extends way past into the time of Ruth. They have always been absolutely dedicated to take out the Jews. And as a matter of fact, Haman in the book of Ruth was Amalekite from King Agag. It says he was an Agagite, but Agagites are Amalekites. So he tried to take out every Jew in the entire Persian Empire. It's a long-running hatred. An Amalekite would take any opportunity to kill an Israelite that they could. And as a matter of fact, God himself said to eradicate, kill, destroy all the Amalekites from the face of the earth. And that itself is the very reason why Saul is dead, because Saul refused to obey God's command to kill all of the Amalekites. God actually said that. Look it up. It's in there. He said, kill the Amalekites. Saul wouldn't do it. So think of this. Here's an Amalekite, somebody that the Lord said was supposed to be put to death. He is saying he killed Saul. And he also has the King Saul's crown. What I think is amazing here is that the enemy, even the enemy, is bringing the crown to David, the next king. Friend, did you know that your enemies, even they can do the Lord's will, whether they think they're doing it or not? This Amalekite is lying. He knows he's lying, but he does not realize that he's furthering God's kingdom work by bringing the crown to the next king of Israel, who is one of the forefathers of the Messiah from the Messianic line of the line of David, line of Judah. Amazing. But this... Why, why, why is this Amalekite lying to David here? 
it's probably because he wanted to get something out of David for it. I, I see two reasons. He wanted to get a favor from David, so he thinks that killing Saul would have been a noble effort, so that's why he's lying. You got to remember, for the last year and a half, at least in this in the story, David had been killing Amalekites, trying to do the job that Saul refused to do. Saul would not kill the Amalekites. And so this Amalekite is lying thinking he did the king of Israel, Saul, a favor, and that David's going to go, oh, you wonderful person, you. Thank you for doing my king a favor. I, I, I will give you a reward. Come over here and stay with us, and we're going to set you up, and you're going to be just fine. Thank you so much for doing this great favor. That's what the Amalekite is thinking. But David is too wise for this Amalekite to get close to him. Because if David allowed this Amalekite to be rewarded for what he thinks the Amalekite thinks he's getting a reward, then what David would have done, he would have been planting a sworn enemy of Israel right in the middle of his own camp. Oh, you killed Saul. Thank you so much. Come on in and be with us, you wonderful guy. And then you've got problem right in your, you've got a major problem right in your camp. David's not going to let a Trojan horse in. Here's a, here's the crown. I did you a favor. Okay, come in. And then later the Amalekite would turn and strike on everybody. You remember Achan, right? Joshua had to go in and get the sin out of the camp because it was he, the sin in the camp was causing defeat. David's not going to have it. So that Amalekite is getting no reward. The Amalekite is lying to him. So we had just recently read how the Lord had David ejected from the Philistine army under King Achish just for the fact so that he could relocate back to Ziklag to discover that his family had been kidnapped. But he had also been relocated so that Israel would be defeated just as Samuel had predicted. David could not be in the Israelite army that this Amalekite is telling him about. He said, I was at Gilboa, and everybody's dead on the mountain. David couldn't have been there because the army was supposed to fall. So he got ejected back to Ziklag. He's removed from the Israelite army that this Amalekite's lying about because he had to go save his family, but he also had to be removed from what Samuel said was prophesied to happen. So now that we are accustomed to seeing the Lord cause David to be moved, He's moving him here and he's moving him there and even making the enemy come up and say, here's your crown. You know, amazing. We're going to see the Lord cause David to act again. He's going to cause David to do something on how to deal with this lying Amalekite who is trying to trick him. But first, David reacts to the death of his best friend, Jonathan, and also reacts to the death of King Saul in 2 Samuel 1 and 11. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young men who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called to one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. So the Amalekite lied to David. 
The Amalekite did not kill Saul, but David thinks he did. David thinks the Amalekite killed him, so David had him executed. You, your own words condemned you. You know what? I have a saying. If you're going to have to eat your words someday, make sure they taste good. Okay? So be careful what you do. Watch that lion. Watch that tongue. Okay? So David was so deeply grieved already of Saul and Jonathan's death. First off, it's the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed is dead. But you also have to remember Jonathan. That's his best friend. David's best friend. He made several covenants with Jonathan. uh, David, they did covenants between each other. Jonathan had helped David so many times to escape Saul's attacks. You know, we could credit Jonathan as being a very instrumental influence that God used for David's survival. Because without Jonathan, I think David might have been killed by now, but the Lord wasn't going to have it. The Lord used Jonathan for David's survival. And that, again, that goes all the way down to Messiah Jesus for all of our salvation. Jonathan is very, very important, even to us today. But David was very distraught of hearing of their deaths. And Saul, the Lord's anointed king. But guys, when you lose your best friend, and I know some of you have been through that, it's tough. You lose your best friend. David was overtaken with grief. He grabbed his clothes and he tore them apart. That's how the ancient Jews expressed mourning, grief, and loss. They would also throw dust on their heads. They would also wear sackcloth. It's, it's, it's an uncomfortable cloth, like a potato sack. You know, it's very scratchy. It's uncomfortable. And the reason they would do this is they were demonstrating outwardly their inner discomfort and pain. But David, you notice, in, he asked the Amalekite was, where the Amalekite was from when he had already asked him before. In verse 3, why did he ask the Amalekite, where are you from, twice? Why did he ask twice? Probably because he was the grief was so severe that he had to ask him twice where he was from because he just didn't catch the severity of the news he was getting. He had to ask him again. But the Amalekite, in his intention to gain some kind of favor from David, he had actually sealed his own doom because David who would never let anyone touch the Lord's anointed, became absolutely enraged when the Amalekite said that he had killed him. So in his false testimony, the Amalekite was far from gaining any kind of approval with David. He actually sealed his own doom with his own mouth. And now it's ironic that Saul supposedly, well, in David's mind, that Saul lost his kingdom because he failed to annihilate the Amalekites. That according to David, the lie he was told in Amalekite, the enemy Saul was supposed to take out is the very one who destroyed him. Second Samuel 1 and 17. This is called the Song of the Bow. Then David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son, and he told them to teach the children of Judah the Song of the Bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there. 
the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. Now, I am sure many of you, when you lost a loved one or a very close friend, and were very grieved that you turned to writing to express your grief, you wrote it in a blog or a poem or a song of some kind. Well, this is what David is doing. He, he wrote a poem to express his grief over Saul and Jonathan's death, and it's called The Song of the Bow. Why is it called The Song of the Bow? Well, it's a, it's a poem about war, the bow, like the bow and arrow. Israel's king had been killed by the bow. I know he threw himself on his sword, but the reason he did that is because it said in the, in the chapter before that the archers overtook him. And it's also because David recalled probably how Jonathan warned David in 1 Samuel in 20. Remember when Jonathan, David was hiding out in the field and Jonathan secretly sent an encrypted message, so to speak, by shooting arrows in a certain way. And he had that little kid with him. He says, no, go the arrows a little bit further. He had already set it up with David. If that's what I say, then Saul is out to get you and you need to run. So it was a secret message to David in hiding. He used the bow the bow and arrows, to convey that message to him. And so verse 18, though, it says that this is indeed written in the book of Jasher. Now, you can find the book of Jasher online. No, it's not hidden in a cave on a scroll somewhere. It's online. The ancient Hebrews, they put it, they posted it online for us to find it, okay? So you can find the book of Jasher online. No, it, of course, it was an old book, but you can find it online. <laughs> so... But it is a book that the Bible refers to multiple times in Joshua also and in Kings. So it's worth the time reading, the book of Jasher. And this song that David wrote is now is going to be in the book of Jasher. But this song is written much like a funeral, if you notice. Because at somebody's funeral, you don't remember the bad things they did. You remember the good things that they had done to honor them. We have to remember that Saul did walk with the Lord. Now, I know some of you tracing through the Bible, you want to hate Saul. I understand he messed up a lot. So did you, and so did I. We're all sinners. But he did walk with God in the beginning before he fell away, and he did do a lot of good things. From chapter 11, it says, The people of Jabesh-Gilead were saved by Saul from the Ammonites, and they would not forget that about Saul. And if you remember, when Saul was beheaded by the enemy, they hung his body on a wall to dishonor him. Who were the people that came and took the bodies down to give him a proper burial? It was the people of Jabesh Gilead, because they remembered what Saul did for them to save them. They had their families, their wives, their children, because of what Saul had done. They wanted to honor Saul. And we also have to remember when Jonathan and his armor bearer, they launched an attack against the Philistines. You remember that? 
everybody else was messing around in chapter 14. Saul was like, what's going on? I hear some uh, tumultuous sound. It was Jonathan and his armor bearer. Saul paced around. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Let's try this, try that. Anything but attack. Finally, he realized, hey, let's get in there and join the fight. Jonathan and his armor bearer ran into the Philistines and attacked, and they did some. They clobbered them, guys. But this is why David wrote in the Song of the Bow in verse 22. He says, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Guys, we got to realize, as much as we want to fault Saul and talk about all the bad things he did, he did fight for Israel. He fought for Israel. Do not forget that. And so David opened his song, and he closed it by saying, how the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have fallen. Saul and Jonathan, they were both in the thick of it. They were in there fighting for Israel. And, you know, David cursed the mountain of Gilboa. That's, that was an expression. I hate that place. Have you ever been somewhere that something bad happened and you just didn't want to go there again? I've got places around the hometown I live in. I've lived in this town all my life. I had my bad days. And there's some places that are in town that bad things happen to me. I don't really care to go in there anymore because of the memory of it. Well, David cursed the mountain of Gilboa for having been the stage of where Saul and Jonathan met their end in a fruitless defense against the enemy. Now, the undying loyalty of Jonathan comes in for special praise as David viewed this father and son, Saul and Jonathan, who were knit together in life and in death. They were together. You think of it, Jonathan was David's best friend. And Jonathan could have said, you know, David, I think I'd rather come hang out with you, but he didn't. He stayed by his dad. There's something honorable about sons and fathers staying together. Yes, Saul messed up, but Jonathan did fight for Israel, and David gave him honor for that. Even though Saul had oppressed the people at times, a lot of times, let me go ahead and put it that way, he had also, as David said, brought them luxury and bounty. Look at verse 24. It says that. He brought them luxury and bounty to Israel. That's why he told them, mourn for Saul. He did you some good. He really did. But it was Jonathan, whom David celebrated with special sadness, his best friend. All the years of their solid friendship, it's all captured here in this tribute. He said, you have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Now, I know that verse jumped off at some of you like, what? Uh Uh-oh. Because you know already how some people are going to try to turn this verse into a sexual biased bunch of baloney that is not what it means at all i'm gonna if anybody says it tries to take this passage and twist it into a thwarted perverted style of meaning don't be a lightweight you need to read everything to understand what david meant by this we have got to take the meaning of what david said this statement that your love surpassed the love of women we have got to take this from david's viewpoint not from your viewpoint we've got to understand what david meant if you remember david's wife she claimed that to saul she claimed that david had threatened her she said david was gonna he threatened me he threatened my life okay bad thing right there number one Thank 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.